0: You're listening to Oh No Lick Class.
1: Mostly dead authors. Fresh takes.
0: Ruining required reading, one book at a time.
2: my <laughs> Spooky, scary skeletons and shivers down your spine. Shrinking skulls will shock your soul and seal your duty might. Spooky, skeletons, Speak with
0: such a screeching You'll shake and shudder in surprise when you hear these Hello and welcome to Oh No Lick Class, the podcast that has some skeletons in its closet. They're plastic ones we got from Target, but occasionally we take them out and wiggle them at passerbys and we go, ooooh, and that's why the Homeowners Association keeps sending us threatening letters. I'm Megan.
1: I'm still scared of Sufjan Stevens. What's under his floorboards?
0: Bad thoughts about... John Wayne Gacy, but that's really something for another podcast.
1: I'm RJ. And
0: I'm Moxie from Your Brain on Facts. Yes, Moxie's here and it's October, which by extrapolation, that means it's Halloween because I fucking said so. And we're kicking off this year's season of The Witch with none other than Moxie, host of the podcast, Your Brain on Facts, a show about things you didn't know, things you thought you knew, and things you never knew, you never knew, which I can't, I can't say without slipping into the Pocahontas song. I'm so sorry.
3: It's okay. It's only a deep-seated personal failing on your part. As so
0: many things are. So, since your podcast is your brain on facts and ours is your brain on absolute fucking nonsense, we are in danger of like a matter meets antimatter situation here. But nonetheless, Moxie, what spooky tome are you bringing to the table this episode?
3: Oh, only the spookiest, if you have very low criteria, it is The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson.
0: Yes, which, I I mean, you say low criteria, it's pretty widely considered like an absolute classic when it comes to, quote, the modern day ghost story. And uh, it's it's a very beautiful book. It's really closer to like a a novella, I would say. And it it delivers sort of very quietly spooky thrills. Very quietly,
3: yeah. um, It can be hard looking at classic horror literature. You know, as a modern person who's had umpteen gallons of cinematic blood and jump scares, and it can be difficult for tension-building things to work on our jaded minds.
0: It's true. That's like... My mom was terrified of The Exorcist when she saw it as a teenager. And for years, she hyped it up in my brain as the scariest thing that she had ever seen, ever. And oh my God. And then I finally watched it maybe 10 or so years ago. And I was just, I was really disappointed. <laughs> it could never have lived up to as scary as my mom thought it was.
3: I had a similar problem with my father and The Adventures of Buckaroo Bonsai. It was one of his favorite sci-fi movies. And I was like, I tried so hard to like it. I did. And it just wasn't any good. Even with a young Clancy Brown. And that's safe something because i'm not saying i would do clancy brown to this very day i would trip him and be under him before he landed no no one's saying that why would we ever say that about <laughs> mr Krabs? Uh, it's the kurgan you put some respect on his name
0: <laughs> look i i'm sorry before i knew him as the murderer of the highlanders he was mr Krabs. it's just a generational thing it clearly
3: is because i am <laughs> apparently just fucking old now
1: you millennials
0: I'm forty.
1: Now I'm talking to Megan. Okay.
0: You're a you're a millennial too.
1: I'm not sure. I'm above all description.
0: Yeah, you you defy age. Um, it I would be Maybelline. It, it could. It probably is Maybelline in your case. So I imagine listeners will be far more familiar with her often assigned short story, "The Lottery," which is about a village where once a year everyone gets together and stones someone to death. Because oh,
1: reasons. wait, it's not about winning the Powerball? It is not,
0: unless the Powerball is getting stoned to death.
1: Oh, I really had a good feeling about winning the lottery this week, too.
0: <laughs> well, I'm pulling for you. So, that I mean, that yeah, that gets assigned all the time, definitely more often than this novel in terms of, like, cultural awareness, I would think, at least prior to the release of the acclaimed Netflix miniseries. Are we just glossing right over the Liam Neeson movie? Oh, no, no, no. We're saving that for adaptations. (laughs) Did
3: you know if you pause Rob Roy at just the right moment, you can confirm the rumors about Liam Neeson?
0: I have seen Rob Roy but the once, and I believe it was in school, so there was no time for 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 freeze-framing.
3: Well, go back and watch it because it's amazing. I mean, you've got Liam Neeson, Jessica Lange, Tim Roth, uh, Brian Cox. But early in the film, when Rob Roy is bathing in the lake, As he's coming out, just be on it with the pause
0: button and you'd be like, oh, mama. Do
1: you see Brian Cox?
0: I'm starting to get a pattern here, Moxie, emerging very early in the episode. I don't know what you mean. So did you read The Haunting of Hill House for school?
3: no no actually and i didn't even read the lottery i think our class was split up into two groups that year and my side read uh the monkey's paw while the other side of the class read the lottery and then each side instructed the other group on it oh that's
0: cool also the monkey's paw is really good we should need to do that at some point point. and rj we already know the answer to the question but you can just say uh, it anyway
1: what's the question did you read the book <laughs> no <laughs>
0: <laughs> you have seen the Liam Neeson movie now. Um I have. Yes.
1: Oh. <laughs> oh it's,
0: okay. Well, it's
3: that it's that caliber of film.
0: Yeah. Why did I see the movie? We watched it together. We may not have been sober. We'll we'll go back to it. like I said. I'll, it'll come back to you, and we discuss details later on. I did not read the book in school either. I did not read the book at all before I saw the miniseries on Netflix. But did
1: you have green eggs and ham? What? He said, I did not read it here. I did not read it there. She
0: did not read it anywhere. I I did read it at the bar that I work at when it was empty and no one was there. And honestly, that was pretty good conditions because it was kind of spooky. But before we can get properly acquainted with just what the fuck is up with Hill House, we first must get acquainted with the author herself. RJ?
1: Shirley Hardy Jackson, born December 14th, 1916 and died August 8th, 1965. So I've been told to surely never call someone Shirley. Apparently it's a Hollywood thing.
0: uh, Leslie Leslie Nielsen. I I was just, I I definitely almost just said Liam Liam (laughs) Neeson. Leslie Nielsen uh, recommends against it.
1: So I thought about calling her H.J., but people might think she's related to me or handjobs. So that's not good. (laughs) No. And I can't refer to her as a Hardy brother. That's likely some kind of copyright infringement.
0: That is interesting that her middle name is Hardy, like the boys.
1: So I am for real when I say I'm know. i just going to refer to her as Miss Jackson. Hopefully I don't make her daughter cry. (laughs) I never wanted to make her daughter cry. So Miss Jackson was born. See,
0: she went for the Janet Jackson joke. You went for the outcast joke.
1: Yeah, because I know what the kids are down with, not this old shit.
0: (laughs) Neither of those things. (laughs) What?
1: Hey, kids, you get on your Twitters and your Facebook and you tell me you're down with outcasts
0: i think they all just know the meme now the one where it's like sorry miss jackson i am for eels never meant to make your daughter cry i am several fish and not a guy
1: oh i wish i knew about these memes <laughs> well see, that would have made this script way better you're out of
0: touch with the youth of today Yeah, i only saw that one once and it made no sense to me
1: you gotta get down with the youths
0: all right so you're calling her miss jackson miss jackson Because you are for real.
1: I am for real. So, Miss Jackson was born in San Francisco, California to Leslie and his wife, Geraldine. She was of English descent, and she had actually pretty famous people on both sides of her family. The most prominent relation was one Nathaniel Green, who was considered by George Washington. You know, the wooden teeth guy? I've heard of him. Yeah, How else would you know him? To be his most dependable officer. Other relatives were judges and architects and all sorts of fancy things. Miss Jackson grew up in a two-story brick house in San Fran. This is back in the days when a family could afford a two-story house in San Francisco.
0: The before times. The long, long ago.
1: Her parents married young and got right to fucking. This caused a problem, however, as Mama Miss Jackson was settling in, looking forward to spending time with her dashing husband. That's a quote, by the way. Oh. And she told later in life, she said, Daughter, I was... Looking forward to, quote, spending time with my dashing husband, but I got pregnant with you.
0: Whoa! Nice. Do we know how old uh, she was when she was imparted with this information? No.
1: (laughs) But she was guilted nonetheless. That sucks.
3: I'd like to think it was right from the get-go. You know, don't save that for, like, her confirmation or anything. Just, like, (laughs) start when she's three. Just be like, here's some juice, and by the way, you were an accident that ruined my life.
0: (laughs) Now eat your crackers.
1: Yeah, they were like, I think the parents were like both like eighteen, or like they were just like really, really. Oh young. wow, okay, you yeah, like, you weren't kidding. They're like very yeah, they're young. Great. All right, it's time to enjoy life, get to know each other. Oh baby.
0: Well, that is the importance of safe sex. I think we've had a safe in with RJ. So, I think so. Please, please refer back to that.
1: <laughs> now, as they say, you can plan a pretty picnic, but you can't predict the weather. You never know what you're gonna get, and in this case. A baby. Her parents got a baby. Mama Miss Jackson probably should have apologized a trillion times for saying that. (laughs) There is no record of her ever apologizing.
0: I'm Sorry, Miss Jackson. I wrecked your childhood.
1: Miss Jackson never really fit in with the other kids. She struggled with weight issues. She spent a lot of time writing, and she picked up the violin and shredded those strings like a boss. But yeah, really, a fat band geek that wore glasses and wrote all the time, Miss Jackson was like... Look at the way the kids treat me.
3: Yeah, I'm feeling kind of seen as it is. I know, seriously.
0: I'm just like, well, that's a mood. Except mine was a saxophone.
1: I did the clarinet and the alto clarinet and the saxophone and the trumpet and percussion.
0: So you're also a
1: band geek with glasses. I wasn't a geek. I rocked it. You
0: played like five instruments. I think
3: that qualifies. I rocked it, man. No, he, he, he got so many instruments that it kind of like an ugly dog,
0: it came back around to being cool again. Ah, that must have been yeah. it. I never learned an instrument, but I was theater kid adjacent, and that was bad enough.
3: Yeah, just don't stand too close to the nerds. That's the main lesson in life.
1: So, in short, her confidence was shot. Making matters oh so much better, her parents were overbearing and helicopter ish. More on that in a second. When she was a senior in high school, her parents moved the family to New York. On the one hand, I guess this allowed Miss Jackson to get a jump start on all those authors who moved to New York when they were 18.
0: It's true. makes it more convenient.
1: On the other hand, she was moved away from whatever friends, normalcy, etc. she had when she was 17. Tough age to start over. Luckily, she made it through high school and graduated. Oh yeah, and for those helicopter parents, well, when it came to college, they basically forced her to go to the University of Rochester so they can continue to rule over her life there.
0: This is starting to make a lot of themes in the novel make a lot more sense.
1: Allow me to almost paraphrase here <clears throat> uh-huh. damn g you really got sent up shits creek without a paddle you got the nosy ass parents
0: no you're not allowed to paraphrase anymore
1: that might have been a direct quote from the song you have <laughs> you've, you've lost your paraphrasing privileges damn g damn g don't be so harsh unhappy with this arrangement after a year miss jackson took a sabbatical and managed to transfer to syracuse university where she got a bit of freedom and guess what she enjoyed it she flourished there. She earned a degree in journalism. She started working for the campus literary magazine, where she met Stanley Egger Hyman, who allegedly took her Hyman.
0: <laughs> Hyman.
1: Yeah. She started talking to her parents less, probably because she. <laughs> I just remember the song works now. Because she had his dick up all in her mouth. Oh, okay. So
3: no. It's a bit on the
0: nose, don't you think?
3: It's yeah. from the song. Yeah. And
1: it works, eh? Well,. Apparently did.
0: Or, you know, she finally found independence from her overbearing parents and and she was, like, becoming an independent woman and dating a guy with a really funny last name. Uh, I'm
1: sorry, Miss Jackson, uh, but I am, for real.
0: I hate you so
1: much. But look on the bright side. She was an outcast no more. Please tell me that's the last of them. Oh, no. Uh,
0: I'm sorry, Moxie. Well, I mean, if
3: nothing else, you've got to give it to him for committing to the bit.
1: Oh, I never give up. The literary magazine she worked for published her first story titled Janice, which was about a teenager's suicide attempt. Hmm. Mm. hmm. After graduating in 1940 at the age of 24, she and her man Hyman married. They lived for uh, some time in New York City, of course.
0: Can't imagine why she didn't take his name.
1: <laughs> and then in Connecticut. And then in Vermont. Basically, they went on a white people world tour. <laughs> They settled down in Vermont, where Hyman scored a gig as an instructor at Bennington College. During this time, Miss Jackson worked on material for publication, and Hyman established himself as a literary critic. They had four children, Lawrence, a.k.a. Laurie, Joanne, Janie, Sarah, also known as Sally, and Barry. Poor Barry didn't get a cute little nickname.
0: Barry kind of is... I don't know, I've been short for Beryl. <laughs>
1: Could have been Bear. B. Bee.
0: <laughs> I don't
3: understand giving giving a, a Sarah the nickname of Sally. It's still a two-syllable name. You know, it's like people are named John, but they're called Jack. It's even the same number of letters. What the hell? That's true. We're going true. from, we're it going from Joanne
1: like... to Janie. No,
3: that one, I, that one I almost get. But it's just like Sarah is already kind of, it's already a short and punchy name. I'm like, why Sally? And if you wanted to call her Sally, just call her Sally. It's true. It's maybe really Maybe to
1: rhyme her with Barry.
3: Sally oh, no, Barry because that, that's why it looked okay. Like.
1: Lori, Janie, Sally, Barry. Uh, when you on up the nicknames. So they didn't want to end the names in Y, but, except for Barry. But I guess they just wanted that.
0: That is still weird. Although they did manage to not name any of their kids after themselves. So I will give them points yeah. for that. And a bonus fact, Betty White's full first
3: name is Betty. Because her parents didn't like any other short form of Elizabeth they didn't want people calling her Beth or Liz or Bessie so
0: they just named her Betty. God, Bessie really is like the nightmare scenario if you're an Elizabeth, I feel like. Yeah.
1: Old people names that are dying off. Murray. You don't meet a Elizabeth. lot of uh,
0: Lottie's, Ediths, no. Agnes. God, can you imagine being like 11 and being called Agnes? Like you you would have to just go and haunt a
3: house somewhere. It just makes me think of the Simpsons. Just like my name's Agnes, you know it's Agnes.
0: It means Lamb of God. <laughs>
1: Principal Skinner's mother.
0: Sorry. Yeah, I was say, no. There you go. Moxie got our, our Simpsons reference in for us. Uh, anyway,
1: Mr. and Mrs. Hyman. Don't do that to her. Hyman, her man. Like, no, come on. He
0: man.
3: Miss
1: Jackson. <laughs> anyway, Miss Jackson and Hyman over there. They amassed a personal library that included over one hundred thousand books.
3: Damn. Goals. I
1: I make a note here. That's a lot of books.
3: <laughs> it is, in fact, more than a few. It even exceeds several.
1: I was thinking a couple.
0: It might even uh, go beyond many.
1: So the couple was known for being colorful and generous and just kind of fun to hang around. They hung around with nearby literary talents. One of their biffles was Ono Licklass alum, Ralph Ellison. Now, not all was well in paradise. However, I paraphrase. Know what I'm talking about? Jealousy, infidelity, envy, cheating to beating, envy and to the G, they be the same thing.
0: And so, what does that mean when you're not quoting outcast lyrics?
1: Old Hyman wasn't satisfied taking the hymen of just Miss Jackson. Aww. He apparently had a thing for taking the hymen of his students.
0: Oh no, gross!
1: Yeah, he basically forced Miss Jackson to up- open up their relationship so he could do this
3: oh that's not how Polly works no
1: and then she became more financially successful than him but he took control of her finances and he would met out her money as he saw fit naturally no bueno fam no bueno no but I do have to say that the two did stay together for her entire life so who knows
3: uh because no fault divorces
0: weren't made the law until the early 1980s I I was gonna say it so thanks thanks for saying it for me (laughs)
1: Who am I to judge?
0: Uh, no, I'm pretty sure it's it, that's
1: the reason. Miss Jackson's best known work is the off adapted the, the Lottery. It was published in 1948 and has nothing to do about winning the lottery. As we've covered. <laughs> she was 32. The Haunting of Hill House was published in 1959, so a whole decade later when she was 43 and much closer to death. You see, she only lived to be 48. Oh, well,
3: sad. It sucks.
1: Yeah. Other than her previously mentioned weight issues, she suffered from severe anxiety and Did you mention
3: weight issues? That when she was younger. Okay, she was,
1: she was a, she, a husky she was a child. Baby.
3: A full-figured lass.
1: So here's part of the issue. To try and create some weight loss, they prescribed her amphetamines.
3: Oh, no. Which
1: made her anxiety all the worse. Yeah, it would do. And then for the anxiety, she was prescribed which was thought to be a harmless drug at the time, barbiturates.
0: Oh.
3: I knew that's where we were going.
0: Yeah, well, it's that time period. Yeah, it's
3: sort of the Judy Garland cocktail. So
1: these two drugs counteracted. This led to her using alcohol and tranquilizers to get some rest. Things kind of spiraled out of control until she died of a heart attack. Poor
0: Shirley Jackson. Holy shit. Now
1: we know don't do speed, even if it helps you lose weight. And barbiturates are not some miracle wonder drug with no harmful effects.
0: I'm pretty sure we know that
1: now. Yeah, we know that now. (laughs) 2019, baby!
0: Yeah, now we have different drug problems.
1: So this actually helps explain some things surrounding the haunting at Hill House, I think. You see, Miss Jackson claimed some spooky shit happened when she was working on the tale. One thing was that she began to sleepwalk and leave notes around the house that read, and I quote, Dead, dead, dead.
3: She, she was haunting herself. Yeah, it was in her own handwriting. <laughs> it appears that way. Yeah,
1: it was in her own handwriting. She knew she was doing it. Now, I might do that if I was tripping on speed, barbiturates, tranquilizers, and alcohol, too. Possibly. Uh, spookier than that, though, when she was looking for photos of spooky houses, she found a perfect photo of a burned-out house. She happened to show the photo to her mom, who immediately recoiled and explained that the house was built by Mrs. Jackson's great-great-grandfather, and it was burnt down by city folk, and it has sat dormant ever since. What a spooky coincidence. That
0: is a really weird coincidence. Does it say... Uh, oh, go ahead. Why? Yeah.
3: Yeah, that's the that's the question. It's like, okay, were there torches and pitchforks involved? I would really like to know why the townspeople burnt great-granddad's house down. It's kind of burying the lead there, Mom.
1: Oh, it's like the pitchfork thing. Apparently they just hated the dude.
3: And they burned his house
0: down.
1: Yeah. How else do you show hatred? <laughs> Holy shit. Get the fuck out of town.
0: <laughs> you ain't got a house no more.
1: Hey, then it just sat there.
0: That's really freaking weird.
1: Yeah. And then uh, everyone's favorite Hyman Steeler over there. He was too scared to read the damn story. What a little bitch. Pussy. Big enough to fuck, but still a baby at heart. Now, Miss Jackson also claims the story is based on studies done by actual real-life paranormal investigators. Mm -hmm. And despite being a ghost story (laughs) without ghosts, it has been highly celebrated and has been highly influential. Some of the most outspoken supporters and fans of the story are Stephen King, Guillermo del Toro, and Mr. Amanda Palmer, who Megan also continues to boycott because Megan can't handle women with pubes in the shape of Tasmania.
0: Wait, I don't want to talk about Neil Gaiman books because I no, don't I said like Amanda Palmer. No,
1: you're just boycotting Mr. Amanda, or, well, I mean you're boycotting Amanda Palmer.
3: <laughs>
0: when I was a
1: burlesque
3: dancer, a member of our troupe really badly, badly wanted to do a group number to Map of Tasmania, but we never quite pulled it off.
1: Haunting the Hill House also was Miss Jackson's most financially successful story. I know Megan will discuss adaptations later, but I do want to mention that when Miss Jackson sold the rights to the story, she proudly paid off the mortgage of the house and she bought a washer and a dryer.
0: Moving on up. Yep, not just one, but both.
1: This brings me to this week's Financing with RJ Windfall Edition. Have you recently come into a lot of cash? No. Sell the rights to your own great American novel? Become a hit sensation on the inner tubes? Kill off your spouse who had a lot of life insurance on them? Well, listen to what I have to say. After all, I may have helped millions of people save millions of dollars. Your results may vary. Mm. While you may want to go out and buy a Bugatti or a 100-carat ring, don't do it. Don't go out and get some bougie clothes. And don't buy season tickets to a local sports ball team.
0: Don't police me in my spending.
1: All those things are fleeting.
0: Should I call you? Start calling you Hyman. Hey, I need this
3: financial advice. Okay, I have a yeah, book coming see? out, and I've overinsured my husband. This could be really relevant to me.
1: Oh, well, here you go. So what you want to do is you want to buy things you're going to enjoy year round for things to come, like Miss Jackson did—a washer and dryer, an economical house, or perhaps if you're about to lose a husband. A Hitachi magic wand, (laughs) a baby Jesus butt plug, camera equipment, an online domain, something like www.thedisappearer.com, which is currently unowned. The world is your oyster.
0: You went and checked that one,
1: huh? I'm telling them to put it in their ass. It makes it disappear. And then you buy thedisappearer.org. People tune in. They're like, whoa, where did the baby Jesus butt plug go?
0: You didn't have to explain the bit. I just think it's funny that you looked up the domain name to make sure it was available.
1: It is? I'm sending people up.
0: You're gonna need a
3: GoDaddy affiliate link for all the people getting disappear. dot something domains after this comes out. dot <laughs> info. dot biz. pizza. <laughs> dot wand. <laughs> <laughs>
1: wand. Well, what are you gonna make disappear this week? I wouldn't put pizza though. It's it's too carb-y and starchy. Your orifices won't enjoy that.
0: Don't
3: kink. Don't put pizza in your lady bits though. the the The
0: bread would only feed the natural yeast. Oh, that is a good point. All right, fine. Don't put pizza in your vagina,
1: kids. You heard it here first. And remember, there's nothing wrong with just saving the money for a rainy day. After all, as loyal financing with RJ Apostles know, you should love yourself, love your family and friends, but perhaps most of all, love the feeling of money in your pocket. Until next time, may your stocks stay in the green and your bonds remain AAA rated.
0: With like this whole Jared Leto cult thing going on, maybe don't refer to them as apostles. We might be getting into some dangerous territory.
3: If anything, they're acolytes.
0: <laughs>
3: You're not helping. <laughs> I'm not helping you.
1: They like it. They like being treated that way. I <laughs> shame <laughs> them with money. I throw it in their face. We
0: don't have consent. <laughs> listening to Ono Lit Class is implied consent. I'm going to definitely cut that little tidbit. <laughs> Moxie Labouche says listening to Ono Lit Class is implied consent. I'm going to put that at the beginning of our
3: episode. It's just like opening the uh, a piece of software. You know, by breaking this seal, you agree to the terms and conditions.
1: That's called a shrink wrap agreement. Learn more at the Temple of RJ. Oh, God. Hitachi, or not Hitachi. Hitachi magic wand's optional.
3: They are never optional. And don't buy the off-brand ones. Spend the
0: money. Get the real thing. There you go. There's a there's a finance and addendum.
1: Oh, f- For that. I mean, there's some things you can't buy the off-brand.
0: Well, yeah, but certain things, you know. Don't mess with
1: orgasms, Megan.
0: Yes, you you go for the real real deal.
1: You only have so many O's in you. I don't think that's true.
0: I don't think that's scientifically sound.
1: Hey, you know you have a finite amount of eggs? Trust me.
3: No, okay, but now, what, but now I'm thinking, what if we had one orgasm per egg cell? That's still <laughs> like that a how f- fair number. Well, there was actually a period in history where it was pretty okay to be a woman sexually because there was the belief that there was male sperm and female sperm and that the woman had to orgasm if you were trying to conceive. So for a very brief period in the course of human history, in Western history anyway, sex was probably okay
0: and what a glorious window in that
3: was a good good 50 (laughs) 60 weeks that was and then they were like oh no we only have male sperm and so then it only you know only the man had to have an orgasm for procreation so then the female orgasm became a myth
0: Hey there everybody, it's Megan the Milkman Danger coming at you live from Radio ONLC and there's heavy traffic on the 405, That's, that's a road. I don't know why I'm the milkman, it was just the first word that I thought of that started with M. I'm bad at this. Hey guys, how's it going? I hope you're enjoying this episode. It was super fun to record and slightly less fun to edit because... There's three people with significant attention span problems, one of whom knows all the facts about everything. This episode is also brought to you, in part, as always, by our wonderful, beautiful, supercalifragilistic, potentially even expialidocious, patrons. Including our newest one, Randy. Thank you very much. We got a big announcement. We have a brand new store and it is at onolitclass.threadless.com. We've got a whole bunch of new designs up in there with uh, more to come. It's several of them spooky ones, including Dracula and ghosts and stuff, so it's perfect for Halloween. Uh, You could get them as not only like t-shirts and hoodies and all that stuff, but magnets, stickers, notebook covers, bags, towels, pillows, bedspreads, shower curtains, skateboards, various mugs. Truly, the limit is your imagination. And also Threadless's inventory. They still don't have like booty shorts. That's that's the dream. The day we're able to get booty shorts that say financing with RJ on the ass. That's, that's the day we know we've made it. But in the meantime, please go check out the store because it's really cool. And I'm really proud of it. And there are some pretty cool designs in there with, with more to come. And uh, that just leaves this week's pod pal because I stopped doing that for a while and that's bad because podcasts are our friends and we should say nice things about our friends. And this week we're saying nice things about side character Quest. An RPG podcast run by the extremely delightful Ty, who was the most recent guest on the other show that I do, Rolling Misadventures, where we all talk like pirates a whole bunch. And he's just really funny. And so, yeah, he does a he does a show called Side Character Quest that has a rotating set of guests and as side characters in an overall story. Uh, the idea being that you can kind of jump in wherever on whoever's storyline without needing any kind of backstory but then also if you listen to all of them you start to get a picture of like a bigger plot it's, just, it's really cool it's really inventive and ty needs I, I want ty put me on your show hey ty put me on your goddamn show no that was, was a little too aggressive but i mean it
2: hey eli do you want to help me make an improvised fantasy adventure podcast hey ty that sounds fun do we want to bring in all of our friends to play with us nope just you Okay, will I be on the whole time? Actually, no, you'll be on for three to six episodes, and then we'll bring on another guest. Okay, is one of us going to be the main character? Nope, you're all just going to be side characters in a larger story. Okay, but this podcast is going to be hard to find, right? Nope, just look up Side Character Quest on whatever podcast app you like, or just go to sidecharacterquest.com. Okay, but you promised not to kill my character, right? No promises. Uh, oh, No. <laughs>
0: So, uh, no segue exists, so I'm not gonna bother with one. The Haunting of Hill House, as it is haunted. So, as I previously said, this is actually a pretty short book where, as Moxie also intimated, not a a ton happens. Don't be a size queen. I'll be whatever I want. The beauty and the fear of it is in its descriptions and also the very good dialogue because everyone in this haunted house is a witty co-star in, like, Some Like It Hot or equivalent, like, old-timey movie where everyone talks really quickly and, like, quips and just drinks a fuck-ton of alcohol. Okay, the, the dialogue in this is nothing like Some Like It Hot.
3: If it was, I would have been much more into what people were saying.
0: Well, in the sense My Girl of Tuesday? Like, <laughs> it's His Girl <laughs> Friday. <laughs> My Girl Tuesday. That's RJ's sequel to <laughs> His Girl
3: Friday. <laughs> well, no, it's a, it's a prequel. Tuesday comes before Friday.
0: Oh, damn it. You're right. That's how the days of the week work. <laughs>
1: yeah, um, but Tuesday comes after Friday also.
0: It's about the
3: prequel and the sequel. It depends how you're
1: counting.
0: Holy shit. I mean, I guess more in the sense that, like, Everybody has like a witty rejoinder. Like there are a bunch of strangers in a haunted house, and they're just kind of rattling off lines of just like, "Oh, what if uh, Mrs. Dudley does this or that?" And what if ghosts come in the night? Well, I'll simply laugh at them, and then we'll set the house on fire, and I don't know, run away and kick our heels in the air. They all talk like (laughs) they all sound like they're gonna. They would have that. What was it called? The like the Mid Atlantic accent. Yeah, that's that's the way that people talk in
3: the the movies from the mid century, where it was a combination of the American accent accent and the received pronunciation or bbc accent so they all sound like they would bbc yes the british broadcasting corporation has Uh, has a specific way of speaking called received pronunciation that's that's why all the bbc newscasters sound very posh very sort of stephen fry sounding though they began to move away from that during world war ii when they started finding out that there were Germans who could effectively imitate received pronunciation. That was when the BBC began to
0: allow people with distinct regional accents on the air. The whole time that you have been giving this very interesting information, he's been holding his hands out really wide and just mouthing the words big black cock.
3: So. Oh, I thought he was confusing it with CBT. BBW.
1: <laughs> I hate you guys. Really, if you just kind of google any three random letters, <laughs> something's going to happen. Be some
0: sex thing. It will be on Urban Dictionary, yeah. So, they all talk like that and they all drink BBW, a whole lot. BBC? Yeah. yeah. Yep. yep, that's how they Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he's he's having a much better time than we are. That's usually the case. Yeah.
1: That'd be a great movie. Or a book. <laughs> I guess we're a book podcast.
0: I guess we are. <laughs> Who knows at this point.
1: No, that would be so good. They're sitting around in a room. Oh yes.
0: CBT. Oh <laughs> oh oh. oh, oh, oh. Some, some shit's going down at Hill House, all right. <laughs> so, uh as I was saying, it's it's entirely possible that Hill House isn't the least bit haunted because it's just the kinky. yeah, the entire cast of characters are just kinky and also hammered because they just drink a lot. They are constantly drunk. Well, it's like a little vacation, you know. You get away from
3: home for even a weekend and it's just an excuse to hit the all-night buffet and $3 margaritas. I
0: mean, I'm not saying that I I wouldn't, but, you know, it just, uh, I feel like it, it throws off the scientific spirit of it, which... Yeah, because there was so much hard science going on. <laughs> well, yeah, see, that's... we're gonna get into that because I think I've been getting ahead of myself. So the novel opens with what is, in my personal opinion, one of the best first paragraphs in a novel. Like, say what you will about the rest of the book... It's just a really fucking good opener. So if you guys don't mind, by which I mean you have absolutely no say in the matter, I'm just going to read it. No live organism can continue for long to exist sanely under conditions of absolute reality. Even larks and katydids are supposed by some to dream. Hill house, not sane, stood by itself against its hills, holding darkness within. It had stood so for 80 years and might stand for 80 more. Within, walls continued upright, bricks met neatly, floors were firm, and doors were sensibly shut. Silence lay steadily against the wood and stone of Hill House, and whatever walked there, walked alone. Shut up. <laughs> like, fuck, dude, you know? Even the Netflix show that has like essentially nothing to do with the book kept that paragraph in the form of a voiceover pretty good. We can just appreciate things every now and again. I'm basking in it. <laughs> so, after that we learn that there's this doctor named Montague who is apparently an anthropologist uh who thinks that ghost stories are totally bullshit, but he really really wants to prove that ghosts are a thing using capital S science. And why he's so dedicated to it being scientific will be more apparent towards the end. And anyway, his super scientific approach is finding a house that is suitably fucked up in its history and general demeanor. And then reaching out to all the people he can find who have some connection to the paranormal and offering them the chance to chill at said haunted house for the summer in return for taking notes and, you know, just just see what happens. Keep your expectations at the door. Because that's how science
3: works.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. So what's the hypothesis? What materials does he have? Does he have like one of those, you know, three folding out display boards like in fifth grade?
3: Is this going to be double-blind?
0: Is it peer-reviewed? It
1: is absolutely not peer-reviewed, but I will say, the one thing he is
0: absolutely insistent on is notes. Everybody take a lot of notes, and I know from Adam Savage, host of Mythbusters, that the difference between science and fucking around is taking notes. Is writing it down, (laughs)
3: exactly. I was going to say that.
0: For all his efforts, he gets two participants. Theodora, an artist who purposefully avoids a last name for Beyonce-esque reasons, and might be a psychic because she's really good at at like card guessing, like in the beginning of Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Yeah. We should hang out. (laughs) We really should. But uh, her potential powers will have no bearing whatsoever on the plot. And Eleanor, or Eleanor Vance, she has a last name, who's picked because a bunch of rocks fell on the roof of her house when she was a kid for days on end after her dad died, and then just stopped. What kind of a qualification is that? It's good enough for Dr. Montague, anthropologist. (laughs) I need to examine his credentials. Well, apparently Eleanor's sister and her husband do examine his credentials because they're like, we don't know how we feel about you going off for a whole summer at a, a haunted house with some guy. But so Eleanor is 32 and she's been trapped caring for her recently deceased mother since she was 21. So she has not had like a real adulthood and now she's stuck with her asshole sister who never did anything for their mom and has an asshole husband and presumably an asshole kid. And they don't want her to go to Hill House partially because the aforementioned sketchiness but also because she'd have to use the car to get there. The car that's half hers that she pays for half of. And they're like, no, you're not allowed. Just Uber. This is the fifties. A lift. <laughs> yeah, just take a lift. Eleanor doesn't know what might be at Hill House, but knows it has to be better than this shit, and decides to exercise some newfound sense of autonomy and steals—you know—steals the thing she owns part of, drives her half of the car away. It just
3: happens to be stuck to her sister's half.
0: Exactly she takes a dreamy drive to Hill House, where she imagines various lives that she might be able to lead now that she's free of her mom and her family, and she's got a very vivid imagination, but not much of a sense of commitment, because every time she, like, drives past some, like, picturesque little cottage, and is just like, I could just stop here and live alone with a cat and drink tea... But she doesn't. She just keeps going towards Hill House because she has Dr. Montague's directions and Eleanor still doesn't have a whole lot of autonomy. She's still kind of just best at following directions.
1: The house was calling to
0: her.
3: She was pretty aimless. She was trying to be independent and an individual, but I don't think she knew how. No. So she's just like, I'm going to drive over there. That's (laughs) as far as she got in her plan.
0: It is. And, And the biggest indication of this kind of stunted sense of being, you know, trying to be free and and whatnot and not really knowing how or what to do. She does stop for lunch at this one place and she watches a little girl refuse to drink milk because it's not in her special cup covered in stars. And in her head, she's just like, yeah, you, you fucking tell him, kid, you exert that autonomy. And Eleanor finding herself connecting so strongly with a small child is tragic in itself but also a fair indicator that someone has a strong case of stunted social development.
3: Because a well-developed person would have wanted to smack the child.
0: (laughs) Well, she has, like, such an intense moment where she is, like, seeing that kid and being like, I feel seen. And she's like sending out these thoughts of the kid where they're like telling the mom's asking the kid, like, please just drink the milk out of this cup this one time. And she's thinking at the kid, like, don't do it. Don't do it. Because once you make this compromise, that's all that your life is ever going to be. And it's like, oh, okay, we're getting some insight into Eleanor and some some problems that she's got. So she gets to Hill House eventually and meets Mr. Dudley, an old jerk who's the caretaker and is creepy for what is clearly the hell of it. Eleanor is immediately freaked out by Hill House and feels like it's deeply evil and bad and looking at her. She goes inside and is just like, this is just bad. Like, these are bad vibes and I should leave forever. But then Theodora shows up and suddenly it's like, ooh, beautiful artist lady. Hmm. Okay, maybe I'll stick around. Ooh, little girl crush. Oh, yeah. Eleanor's relationship with Theodora is complicated. They're kind of friends, but Eleanor also really wants to impress her like they're in the sixth grade kind of way where she lies about having this apartment and fills it with some of the things that she saw on her drive there in her like pretend imagined lives because she wants to be cool like Theodora is cool. Oh shit, and I forgot one of the best things is the reason that Theodora is there. Because Eleanor's there because, you know, her life sucks and she has nowhere else to go. Theodora's there because she got into a fight with her roommate. And rather than have to, like, hash it out and deal with that, she's like, fuck it. I'm spending the summer at the Haunted Mansion because that's easier.
3: Another case of uh, stunted social skills.
1: Yep. That's just good planning. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If you run from your problems, you don't got to deal with them.
0: You're really going to like the end of this one. (laughs) So, there's that going on, and then also she kind of hates her, and also she potentially kind of wants to fuck her... It- it's there. Trust me. They touch and hold each other a lot. There's there's a lot of clinging. So, they exchange some witty dialogue about how uninviting the house feels, and then they meet Mrs. Dudley, the cook and the maid, who's basically like an NPC with a limited dialogue set that just repeats when you've run through it all breakfast is at nine she clears at ten dinner is at six she never stays after dark she'll be miles away and she won't hear you screaming for her
3: did anyone else picture her as the chick from the first season of american horror story i have not seen american horror story
1: i thought we're living through that right now
3: this is definitely the worst episode of black
1: mirror ever
0: oh yeah no no one's even fucking a pig i know that was the first episode of black mirror you saw it
1: Sure, she fucks him like at least once a month.
0: Oh, sick bird.
1: Him in his little toadstool.
0: Oh, God. So, after this, they get spooked by a rabbit and they meet the third future occupant of Hill House, Luke Sanderson, nephew of the current owner and one day inheritor. His aunt has stuck him with Dr. Montague under the context that she won't let him conduct his weird ghost shit without someone involved in the house present, but really she just wants to put Luke somewhere where he won't get into trouble because he's apparently a liar, a thief, and a bastard. Which is a weird thing for Jackson to introduce him as because he's a pretty chill dude the whole time. Girls like bad boys. But he's not, that's the thing, he's not a bad boy. He's fine. He's never like a dick to anyone. He engages in a lot of like fun, quippy dialogue. The worst you could accuse him of is maybe being like kind of oblivious but he just seems like an okay dude I don't know he never does anything nefarious most importantly he makes the drinks for everyone I mean that is kind of an essential character trait yeah because Dr. Montague won't talk about Hill House until everyone is good and sloshed (laughs) That's why it's so important. Uh, And once they reach that point, he explains that the house is built all fucked up with, like, a weird circular interior and that there are, like, rooms with no windows where you can't see anything out and there are doors that are always swinging shut. And part of that is because everything is built, like, ever so slightly off-center, like, just an inch to the left of where it should be. And that's because the man who made Hill House, Hugh Crane, was just a fucking weirdo that way. Like, that's the explanation we got. Hugh Crane was just a weird dude who didn't like people. And so he made he made a house that no one would like. So what
3: was the excuse of the people that built the 140-year-old house that I live in? Because there's not a single
0: square or level thing in this damn building. They might have been Hugh Crane. Uh, or as Dr. Montague claims, some houses are just born bad. The people who made the ho- your house might have just been like, oh, it's a bad house. Darn. It has caught fire
3: twice since I've lived here.
1: On purpose or by accident?
3: Well, first one, then the other. But I mean, <laughs> the one I know was caused by a lightning strike because I was outside with my hand on the metal fence when it happened. Yeah, so if it seems like I forget stuff or I repeat myself, it, it's because legitimately some of the files are 404. <laughs> Moxie, are you living in Hill
0: House? I will check, but it didn't say that on the mailbox. If you are living in Hill House, you're legally required to tell me, otherwise it's entrapment. I was, I was gonna try to get ahead of you for, about the entrapment thing, but no, yeah, we really do need to hang out. Clearly. So, Hugh Crane built the house for his wife... And, and the, house was just, the house was just built evil before anything tragic even happened, according to Dr. Montague. But also, Hugh's wife died in a carriage wreck just outside the house, so she never even got to live in it. His second wife died mysteriously on the stairs, and his third wife, which, like, damn, if Hugh was like a bastard by all accounts, he must have been hung like Liam Neeson, because <laughs> he got a third wife and she dragged him off to Europe, where they both died at some point. His two daughters lived in the house their whole lives and eventually grew old and bitter and fought over it, with the younger one getting married and running off, and the older one lived there with a, quote, small companion. Like, they don't don't think they ever really call her young. She's just called a small companion the whole time, which I just found really weird phrasing. Tiny.
1: (laughs) Sit in your pocket, (laughs) take her anywhere you want to go. She's
0: just a real short companion. So the older one who was living there claimed the younger one was sneaking in and stealing things despite the fact that the younger one said no and that, like, the locks were never broken into, like, stuff was just sort of disappearing. And then she died and the house was left to the small companion who was slandered as being negligent and letting her charge die. She was had such a hard time putting up with these allegations that she hung herself in the library.
1: Oh, four feet of her.
0: Oh Yep. <laughs> Her distant cousins, the Sanderson's, inherited the house, and after that, they've been unsuccessfully trying to get people to buy it ever since. And The no Sanderson one... sisters? I, maybe that's a reference? I don't know. Potentially? Sounds like a folk group. The Sanderson sisters from, um, shit. Oh god, stop looking at me like that. Just say, just say it, because now I can't think because you're looking at me like that.
1: Oh, come on! There's Pinky.
0: Yes, I know everyone in the movie. I can't think of what the fuck. What it's Hocus Pocus? Now. Hocus Pocus. God, you got, you guys just let me hang there like that. But yeah, Sanderson sisters, Hocus Pocus. Maybe it's a purposeful reference. Who knows? A
3: purposeful reference written fifty years before the movie.
0: Well, no, no, that, that, oh, that,
3: that hocus the Hocus Pocus. The, the, is, the <laughs>
2: the <laughs> <reference> <laughs> yeah, yes. Last...
0: Shirley Jackson is referencing Hocus Pocus. I meant the other. The other way
1: around. She's a time machine.
3: (laughs) I believe I explained about the lightning strike not two minutes
0: ago.
1: You might have. What lightning (laughs) strike?
0: Quit being a jerk. So that's the story of Hill House. Now off to bed, everyone. Like, that's a great bedtime story. Like, he keeps referring to them, Dr. Montague, as like unruly children. And he's like, I'll tell you a story. It's like, well, go to bed now. Lots of people died in this house. (laughs) And actually nothing happens at first, apart from everyone having a really good night's sleep so go figure
3: oh they made mattresses better those days
0: Mm, yeah probably so in the days that follow, the gang wanders around a bunch. They explore the weird house. And they find a cold spot in the nursery that the doctor tries to examine. And then one night, Eleanor and Theo are awoken by loud banging on the walls. And their their rooms are connected by like a bathroom. So Eleanor runs into Theo's room and the, the doors are locked. And they can hear what sounds like banging and something like scrabbling at the door and trying to get in. And it's freezing. And what's weird is they're freaked out, but then they also laugh for part of it. Yeah, there's a lot of inappropriate laughing. Yeah, there is. It's it's really weird cuz like Theo starts kind of laughing and being like bang, bang and Eleanor's just like <laughs> bang, we're going to die. <laughs> and eventually Eleanor yells at it like she throws herself at the door and screams go away and it stops. And then conveniently Luke and Dr. Montague show up and they're like, "Oh, uh, where where were you?" And they're like, "We were chasing a dog." And then it disappeared and they didn't hear any of the banging. What was that? Woof woof! Yeah, it's was that Sound the effects. was that the ghost dog? It was. it was. Excellent Foley work. I really believe there was a ghostly dog here. Oh, the dog. <laughs> so even after what is an objectively terrifying experience, they all still feel kind of psyched to be there, which is fucking weird and a big red flag that they're all just like, we're just so excited to be here in this this house that wants us dead. Then they find scrawled huge in chalk on the wall the message in all caps: "Help Eleanor come home." And Eleanor is terrified, not really because ghosts, but more because it sets her apart from the group, which is what scares her more than anything else that she's like, I have been othered.
3: Now, were there commas around Eleanor? I forget, because it could be it's like surrender Dorothy. You know, it could be uh, help Eleanor come home or help Eleanor come home. It's actually instructions to the rest of the group.
0: Yeah, no, there, there is that ambiguity because there is very purposely not punctuation. So I feel like that ambiguity is actually totally on purpose.
1: Well, let's see, grandma. If,
0: if you're
3: <laughs> discorporated spirits, you've got all the time in the world to get your grammar right. So let's use our commas, use our punctuation, and the Oxford comma is the hill I will die
0: on. Oh, I'll die right there with you. And two spaces after a full stop. Mm, no, that's an old person thing. I'm sorry. We don't use typewriters anymore. That was a typewriter thing. No, you know, a,
3: co- a comma is a little small pause and a period is a slightly longer pause. Ergo, one space versus two
1: spaces. When I was learning to type, it was still two. Well,
0: at some point in the intervening years between us, when I had typing class in middle school, they had abandoned that. Uh, yeah. I
1: think punctuation just exists for the man to keep the small people like us down. You gotta fight the system.
0: The Oxford comma matters.
1: Why? Because the people who speak BBC over there say so. God damn
0: it. Otherwise you get, like, there's a
3: book dedication, like, this book is dedicated to my parents, Ayn Rand and Jesus. You need the Oxford comma in there.
1: Yeah, you need the BBC, the big black comma.
0: (laughs) He's brought it full circle. You gotta give it to him. Yeah, he's good at that. So... Theo claims that Eleanor, who, at this point, they've all begun infantilizing as Nell, which is also something that she to chew on and think about, did it herself for attention. Then Eleanor decides that she fucking hates Theo. She, her and Theo turn on each other, and they get real catty. Ooh, girls who were friends a minute ago are fighting. What a shock. I know, except this book was written by a woman, so, like, I expect better.
3: No no it's one of the reasons i left burlesque it's all catty bitches you can't have more than two females spending any length of time together and i'm saying this as someone who has five sisters okay i'm kind of an expert
0: all right fair enough
1: also i'm realizing now you went with theo when clearly it should be teddy
0: well no that's her name in the store like their name's theodora, theodora and it's shortened to theo for most of it it should have been dora did, 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 dora. she was exploring that house uh,
1: so here's the thing about the dora the explorer movie that is not
0: even a little bit relevant at this point <laughs> who is that movie for me That's a really it good... was
1: for me it was also for megan megan might want to sit here and lie and say megan did not enjoy that movie what a good movie five stars out of four
0: no idea who it was for though but yeah the sentence there's a drug trip in the Dora the explorer movie is is a really beautiful one that i'm glad i get to say quite frankly Uh, yes, the two women, they hate each other now. Eleanor spends the rest of the evening thinking very mean thoughts at Theo until later she goes into her bedroom and finds everything covered in blood with another help Eleanor come home message on the wall. Theo screams about her clothes being covered in blood and Eleanor thinks that's a dumb thing to scream about, but is also kind of weirded out that she herself is not weirded out. Like she's standing there thinking, I'm not afraid. Why am I not afraid?
1: Because that's like only the third worst body excretion your room could be covered with.
0: That's true. I mean, she did spend 11 years taking care of her ailing mother, so fair. Admittedly, yes. Theo moves into Nell's room and they spend another spooky night haunted by creepy sounds, very tightly holding hands, clutching hands. It's said several times that they're holding hands so tight that Eleanor can feel the bones in Theo's hand. You are squeezing too tightly. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, eventually, Eleanor screams at the ghost sounds again. Like another, like just go, go away, bad ghosts.
1: Bad ghosts, <laughs> naughty ghosts.
0: Are we sure they're ghosts and not maybe raccoons? They might be raccoons, Although they, they're making human giggles. But then again, I have heard fox sounds, and like it's possible. What yeah. does the fox it might, say? It might just have like a, a pest problem at Hill House. We are no, no. That's an ancient meme. We are not. What does that.
1: the fox say? Boop, 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 boop You want to do the baby shark song?
0: But that's not, not the case at hand. So, Eleanor screams at the ghost. Oh, it
1: could be a shark.
0: She screams at the ghost shark, and she wakes Theo up, and as she does that, she realizes that she was, in fact, not holding Theo's hand. Dun, dun, dun. Exactly, yeah. They, uh, they find a creepy book Hugh Crane left for his kids about hell, written in his own blood that they make more funny quips about. And then Eleanor tries awkwardly to flirt with Luke and and fails. It's just a very weird scene where you almost can't even tell that she's flirting because we're getting it through, like, the whole thing is through Eleanor's perspective. And it's hard to tell what's even going on. And she's, like, hoping for him to say something romantic. And he just says, I never had a mom. And she just thinks, like, that was the wrong thing to say. Well, bye. Then uh, she admits to Theo that her mother died when Eleanor didn't wake up in time to hear the banging, like her mom banging on the wall for her medicine. Hey, if she
3: had the strength to bang on the wall, she could jolly well have gotten up and gotten the medicine herself.
0: Probably, you know. So we have this whole thing of like, well, did Eleanor not hear it or did she just not get up? I don't know. Uh, Sounds a lot like the small companion. And then the spookiest thing of all happens. What? That. Dr. Montague's wife shows up. Oh. And she is just the worst. She is the embodiment of every suburban white lady who wants to speak to the manager, and in this case, the manager is ghosts. Hmm. <laughs> She shows up with her friend Arthur and she's just like, oh, John, because apparently that's Dr. Montague's first name. Like, what have you been doing here this whole time? You haven't found a single ghost. I'm going to go here with my Ouija board and my planchette and my automatic writing. Send me to the most haunted room. And he just sits there and he's like, but, 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 and she's like, just shut up. I have a ghost to commune with. She's hilarious and she's just terrible and amazing. And she belongs in, a, in just an entirely different book.
3: You immediately start rooting for the ghosts when this woman shows up. You're like, please hang her by her entrails. Somebody.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. Because everybody else is at first like pretty likable. Like none of them are are, you know, like Theo and Luke and the doctor and Eleanor are all pretty okay people, even when they start bickering. So it's like you have to have someone show up. She uh, goes off to do Ouija boards and automatic writing and she tries it and she says that the ghosts have told her that there are nuns trapped in the walls. And Dr. Montague just sits there and just kind of twitches impotently. So this this is why he's obsessed with finding ghosts through science because he's got, he's got his wife, Captain Seance, over there. <laughs> Mrs. There are nuns in the walls. I'm trying to picture what sort of costume Captain Seance would wear.
3: The- <laughs> Though, with her personality, she'd probably demand you pronounce it seance. Oh, God.
0: All the single ghosts. <laughs> if you like it, then you should put a Ouija on it. formation, in. man. Uh, yeah. That song we're up to now. Oh, man. yeah. All right, ghosts get in Formation. <laughs> So she demands that she's going to spend the night in the nursery, since that's considered the creepiest room in the house with a cold spot. Yeah, that's where someone left the vent open and it got a little chilly. And she's like, Don't worry about anything creepy happening. Arthur's going to be patrolling the house with a gun. And everyone is just like, We're going to go into Mr. Dr. Montague's room. Like, they all just decide uh, on their own accord, like, We're spending the night with Dad because we don't want to get shot by this guy. And then the house starts shaking and just, like, freaks out a bunch. It's the banging, it's the noises, it's everything happening all at once. And it's just so much that Eleanor passes out. Mrs. Montague experiences none of it, (laughs) by the way. But when Eleanor wakes up, she has, at this point, kind of become totally possessed by Hill House. And she has a weird, like, just, disassociative experience and the writing becomes just really good and creepy because she's runs away and they're like looking for her and they're going up and down the halls and they're like Eleanor and she's just like kind of like giggling like oh they'll never find me like I'm so fast ha, ha 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 one of the interesting things that Jackson does is when Eleanor thinks something a lot of times she uses the adverb concretely like Ele- Eleanor thought concretely which you would take with like okay she's thinking about something in practical words or rational words but then she attaches it to some deranged fucking thought that Eleanor has about the house about why she can't go into the library about how she hears her mother calling her and she's thinking these things concretely and I just think that's like a fun little linguistic kind of device. I think it's like that kids
3: in the hall sketch where the one guy has learned the word ascertain so he works the word ascertain into every sentence until his co-workers complain to the manager about it and he gets fired. <laughs> or, my, or my seven-year-old niece with the word literally. She doesn't misuse it. She is using it correctly, but it doesn't need to be in every sentence twice.
0: <laughs> oh, it's kind of cute, though. It's cute when a little kid does it.
3: That's why I made her the co-host of a, of a science podcast and YouTube channel. I'm like, if a little kid does it, people will subscribe. This is very true. We have (laughs) two subscribers. That is
0: more than none. So, yeah, she runs off, and she runs up the library stairs where the small companion died, and eventually Luke sort of rescues her off the extremely precarious, rusty staircase where she almost falls to her death, and they they get her down, and she's pretty upset about that. And after that, they decide that clearly something is wrong with Eleanor. So they decide they're going to send Eleanor home, and... Not to be deterred, Eleanor's just like, yeah, yeah, I'll go home all right, definitely. And, uh, you remember that thing you said about running from your problems, RJ?
1: Yes. (laughs) Well,
0: she's thinking about how her life is terrible, and, you know, she's bad at people, and almost as bad at expressing autonomy, and so this is probably why the biggest decision she makes for herself, to run away from her problems, and she plows that fucking car right into a tree. And, uh, after this, everyone else agrees to call it a day. And leave the damn house. Well, our work here is done. Yes. <laughs> the end. Finn, And that is the haunting of Hill House.
1: A haunting indeed. A house indeed. A hill. Not sure how tall.
0: Though there are hills around it. It's called Hill House. Not even that it's on a hill. Not to be confused with house on a haunted hill, which is a different thing entirely. So one of the things that I think is interesting about the book is um I always make a joke when uh making fun of RJ's analysis where you start pulling things out and I say you know you gotta listen to the notes they're not playing but you do kind of gotta listen to the notes that Jax is not playing like the, a lot of the 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 horror and the terror is in the ambiguity like we never learn why the house is evil specifically even though you know bad things happen there it just sort of is we never learn what exactly was behind the claims of the sister that someone was breaking into the house and stealing plates and whether or not it was supernatural. We don't know who or what was holding Eleanor's hand or what the weird banging or the laughter was. Most importantly, we never find out what the hell was up with the rocks falling on the roof of Eleanor's home when she was a kid. It's called hail. It happens every summer. (laughs) One of the ways you can think about it is if Theo is a psychic... Maybe Eleanor has powers, too. And maybe when Theo claims that Eleanor is the one making the messages, maybe she is, even if it's subconscious. Like, she is guilty about running away from home, after all. So that, you know, help Eleanor come home thing. And then afterwards, when she's all pissy at Theo, it's probably not a coincidence that right after that, Theo finds her room covered in blood. The only spooky thing that happens when Eleanor is not around is Luke and the Doctor chasing after what might be a ghost dog. Everything else directly involves Eleanor. So Hill House, while it may just be a bad house, might not actually even be the source of the bad things happening. It might just all be Eleanor.
1: Girl running away from home. Guilt from the author. Not that you should ever read an author's biography into their story. Yes,
0: I know. Death of the author, but like, wow.
3: Maybe maybe Eleanor's guilt over uh, her mother's death has now manifested in these crazy paranormal psychic abilities, torturing random strangers in weird and ineffective ways for no reason.
0: Look, if someone was actually going to have psychic powers, that's probably the most likely thing to happen. Let's be real here.
3: Your psychic powers are going to be like knowing what song's going to be playing on the radio when you get in the car. Which celebrity death is going to be announced on the news next? You know, you're not going to get good psychic powers, not useful ones, because they've run in my family and they're all shit. We have Those are those are actually two of my psychic powers, and they have done me no good thus far.
1: I have a psychic power. No, you don't. Oh, yes, I do. What's your
0: psychic power, RJ? I...
3: Get
1: it freaked, Megan out.
0: Oh, wait, that's true. He Okay, you know what? I will. I will immediately take it back. And say that I'm wrong. He has the ability to guess which toy is in a blind box. Like whether they have like the blind boxes with like the Disney ones or whatever, like the kid robot ones. Yeah, like where you don't
3: you don't know what you're buying.
0: Yeah, he knows.
1: I don't even need to be there.
0: Yeah, he did it over the phone once.
3: Yeah, like,
1: that's what freaked out Megan the most.
3: That's impressive.
1: I did it from like 400 miles away.
3: That was pretty good. Impressively random, that is. Aww. Statistical probability.
1: I don't know, I mean... It, he got
0: me the toy I wanted, really.
3: That's yeah. all that matters.
1: Multiple <laughs> times. Like four or five times. Yeah. That a miss.
0: That's true. I don't think you ever... We haven't made you <laughs> exercise it in a long while. I don't think you ever missed it.
1: Yeah, no. It's like five or five, man. It's a good record. It is. <laughs>
0: I don't, I don't have any psychic powers. I have a, a mutant power. Because so I was going to make a joke that, much like you're saying, most psychic powers would be useless. Uh, much like the X-Men, most mutant powers would be useless, as I myself am a mutant. I was born without wisdom teeth.
3: Yeah, you're the next evolution, because the reason we have wisdom teeth is because our diet used to contain so many coarse grains, and we didn't have dental hygiene, and we would lose teeth, and the wisdom teeth would come in after time and fill in the gaps, you are the next stage in human evolution. When
0: Magneto comes and is like, what can you offer to the mutant cause? I'll be like, I ain't got no wisdom teeth. Done with the whole teeth thing already. Yeah, did that. So let's let's get into adaptations, because that's where the fun stuff is. So there have been multiple stage adaptations, which would definitely be a thing that I would like to see. And two movies. Uh, the Haunting but both were called The Haunting. One in 1963, which I haven't seen, but is very highly acclaimed and regarded as extremely faithful to the original. Although for whatever reason, Dr. Montague is renamed Dr. Markway, In 2010, the Guardian newspaper ranked it as the 13th best horror film of all time. And director Martin Scorsese personally places the haunting on his list of the 11 scariest horror films of all time, which is kind of arbitrary. Don't know why it's 11 and not 10. It's the spine. It's a spinal tap list. Ah, yeah. Goes to 11. So I probably got to watch it at some point. I have, however, seen the 1999 remake. Originally helmed by Wes Craven, famed Horrorsman and Nightmare on Elm Street creator, until he thought better of it and went, mm, nah, and dumped it on Jan DeBont, director of Speed, Speed 2, and Twister.
1: Now oh, the finger of God.
0: <laughs> With that <laughs> CV, you can't fail. Nah. So it stars Liam Neeson, as we mentioned, as Doctor Mero. Like, what is wrong with the name Doctor? Mon- like, what's wrong with Montague? Because Montague, it's it sounds made up. It's it sounds
3: you know like we couldn't just pick Smith or something. We had to go for something Alexander Dumas would have
0: put in the book. So Liam Neeson is in it as Doctor Mero. Lily Taylor as Eleanor, and an admittedly very sexy Catherine Zeta Jones as, as a Lily Taylor. As Theodore. Fuck her. He gets into these things where he fixates on the actor who plays a character he doesn't like. In our previous episode, we discussed um, in Atonement that because he hates the character Bryony so much, anytime Saoirse Ronan was in a movie, he would just get irrationally mad at her just as an actress no
3: that's valid i mean after watching super troopers i i couldn't watch the next broken lizard movie because the guy who played farva did it so well i couldn't (laughs) get past farva to even hear anything he was saying in the next movie
1: anyway i have a quote here about liam neeson
0: is this gonna be the one about how he's racist
1: from his uh former girlfriend janice dickinson and i quote William Neeson has the biggest penis of any man alive. He unzipped his pants and an Avion bottle fell out.
0: <laughs> okay, it's not about his first races. It's just about that big old dick. Again, Rob
3: Roy when he comes out of the lake after having his bath. It's remarkable. And the sun is glistening off the lake in a way that's like it's almost as if they shot it that way on purpose.
0: They probably did. I'd have to look up who directed Rob Roy, but...
1: Maybe on bottle.
0: So, Catherine Zeta-Jones, she's there. She's Theodora.
1: She knows things about Big Dick. Honestly,
0: I think that's good casting, if I was being, like, legitimate. Like, Lily Taylor is too old to be Eleanor, Uh, and Owen Wilson is Luke! Which is great. You get to watch him wander around a creepy house and just go, wow, look at wow. this
3: house. Wow, my that, my this nose. house is so weird. Wow. I just can't abide him.
0: <laughs> well, the, the best thing, the best thing about this movie, so in this version, Dr. Merrill lies to his three participants and says he's conducting an insomnia study when really it's about ghosts. And also in this version, Hugh Crane tortured orphans in a cotton mill and Eleanor dies defeating his evil ghost. Yeah, they kind of
3: made him a bit Guy as well the french serial child murderer who's considered to be like to have one of the highest body counts of any serial killer of all time mm. i'm sorry i was the only one that picked up on that connection
0: yep yeah look Foxy, we don't know things on this show okay we don't, we don't know stuff <laughs> well that's what i do thank god you're here knowing things So it is a very cheesy, very bad, universally panned movie, but you do get to watch Owen Wilson get decapitated, which is objectively hilarious. Worth it. Also, Theo just straight up says that she's bisexual, and like, yes, please acknowledge the sexual tension between Eleanor and Theo, which they never do in the movie, but fine. Another fun note is that Steven Spielberg was originally an executive producer, and then he saw where things were going and was like, oh oh no, oh Jesus, we fucked up so bad and removed any connection between his name and the movie and went off with Stephen King and they made Rose Red, which is kind of like a a love letter to The Haunting of Hill House, but not really an adaptation. Don't remember that one in the slightest. I've never seen it. This was just stuff that I learned while researching stuff. And so finally, of course, we have the recent Netflix miniseries, which is what I watched before reading the book and everyone told me it was nothing like the book. And it's not. It really bears no resemblance to it whatsoever. Have you watched it? No. It was on my list. It fucking slaps. It is an awesome piece of platform horror. Use
1: that 2019 lingo.
0: It does!
1: Does it clap?
0: No, that's that's what butts do. Um, yeah,
1: that's yeah, <laughs> right. The, the cheeks clap. I thought that's a <laughs> good thing. I can't keep up with this. I don't understand the difference between slapping and clapping. It's a
0: it's a real club banger of a miniseries. Do, do
1: your ass claps <laughs> at clubs. I don't understand the difference between slapping and clapping.
0: Is it on fleek? That was the
3: last one I, I was familiar with. Of course, when I heard on fleek, I thought it was French. I thought it was
0: E-N-F-L-I-Q-U-E. <laughs> on fleek. <laughs> it's just really good horror. Like there's some slower episodes and occasional kind of iffy character development. Like it's not perfect, but it's so fucking good and spooky and just a lot of really good camera work and cinematography. But the connection to the novel and the show are tenuous at best beyond this house is evil because reasons and certain TV characters sharing names with book characters, but really nothing beyond that. And like a couple kind of Easter eggs that you know, the, just weird things that they decide to hang on to, like the cup of- there's a cup of stars, there's a whole thing about a cup of stars in there, and the character of Theo is bisexual again, but in this one, uh, Eleanor is her sister, so no, no sexual tension there.
3: It sounds like they held on to more of the source material
0: than the Liam Neeson version did. Well, there in the in this version, Hugh Crane and his wife are house flippers, and they're gonna- they're gonna flip Hill House. Uh. And they they bring all their kids with them and the kids, it's Eleanor, Theo and Luke and a couple others. I think there's a kid named Shirley, like after Shirley Jackson. And then it shows them as adults and they're trying to figure out like what happened when they were kids at Hill House and whether their dad went tits up crazy or the house is evil. It's better than I'm explaining it.
3: I spend too much of my time in doctor's office waiting rooms and they all have HGTV on and fl- flipper type shows is, is all that's on. So I'm out. It's a no for me,
0: dog. I promise that. The, wow, that's a, that's another uh, <laughs> deep cut right there. I, I promise that the house flipping is a very minor part of it. It plays a very small role in the overall frame of the show. That's what I have for adaptations. Is there anything else that we want to throw around? I got nothing.
1: Then I'm that. Too spooped.
0: Too, too spooped, Moxie. I'm sorry. What? What are we doing? <laughs> no. Oh. oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: You were going to
1: tell us that story about when you got electrocuted. We've been teasing this all episode. It's finally time. Oh my god.
3: Well, the short version is lightning struck the house, lit a wall on fire, dissipated out through the ground to where I was standing with my hand on the metal fence. I'd been yelling at one of my goats to come out so I could milk it, zapped my ass into the mud, and I couldn't do basic math or logic functions for a couple of weeks, and I have memory problems to this day uh, eight years later. So if I occasionally space out or I have a blonde moment or her uh, senior moment a couple of years early. That's why because my ass got struck by lightning. It's a good
0: excuse and it
1: really, really is. just all,
0: all the more impressive the vast and wide array of facts that are in your head.
1: I think the sequel to this book should be at that house. I
0: know. I think, they should, I think your house is the next haunting at Hill House. I think you need to contact the Netflix showrunners because the next one they're doing is one of the Henry James books and I can't remember which one. So they're going to be doing like a different evil house every season so like you can get in on this for money i will well yeah i mean obviously i am hoping to have a
3: little bit of money coming in sometime next year though of course i'm not doing it for the money after the your brain on facts book comes out
0: that goes at the end you're gonna do that at the end
1: of the are show. we not
3: at
0: the end we gotta do the thing first oh what thing we gotta do the part of the episode that we always come to every episode which is i take my pants off well they're already off we've long since passed that point hey rj so. The Haunting yeah. of Hill House, right. good or bad.
1: Well, I wish I saw a ghost. <laughs> but alas, no ghost. You, this is kind of thing. You know, I forget the name of the short story, right? Like, everyone shut the light, you ooh, feel how gooey this is. Ooh, these are worms but its pasta. I don't like this. This doesn't scare me. I need to see the actual scary thing.
0: Well, you just don't like horror movies in general. He's not fun to watch horror movies with because he gets bored and he takes the fun out of it.
3: I'm not good for it either, because, I mean, I can be startled
0: very easily, but what's the fun in that? That's just fish barrel boom. It's true. I'm a big wimpy baby, and I love I love spooky ghost movies.
1: Unlike our last episode on Atonement, the book, definitely better here. Okay. Hey, Megan. Yeah, RJ? The Haunting of Hill House. Yep. Bueno o mal.
0: I say good, I enjoy it, like, yes, bueno, it's a, it's a quick read, and it's got some really lovely writing in it, I don't think it's particularly, like, dense or annoying, it's definitely not the scary, it's one of those things, like we said at the beginning, where, does the spookiness stand up to the test and ravages of time? Eh, not so much. Was I a little creeped out when I was reading it at night in an empty bar um, when they got to the part where things were banging on the walls and one of the loose doors banged shut? Yeah, it creeped me out. <laughs> so I say, good. Hey, Moxie. Yeah? The Haunting of Hill House. Good or bad?
3: Is tolerable. <laughs> it is, um...
1: You just it there and you let it happen.
3: Well, yeah, it's well enough written but it wasn't particularly scary. I didn't feel a great deal of, of tension being built up, though its overall story arc was preferable to the Liam Neeson movie.
0: It's a low bar to clear, but it, it sure clears
3: it. Calls him like I sees him.
0: And that'll about do it for this week's episode of Ono Lit Class. If you like the show, spread the word. Tell your friends, tell your family. Tell the ghosts that uh, preside in your terrifying haunted abode, tell the nuns that are living in your walls.
1: Make sure you apologize a trillion times.
0: (sighs) Moxie, where can people find you And, and what is it that you do where people can find you? Well, if you've liked these little bonus
3: facts and you want to hear more, you can check out Your Brain on Facts, a half-hour show of things you didn't know, things you thought you knew, and things you never knew you never knew, available on the same program you're using to listen to this fine show. Uh, And if you want something in more of a book, sort of physical medium, early next year you will be able to buy the Your Brain on Facts book, which contains subjects that are exclusive to the book and will not be included on the podcast.
0: I get the feeling, and this this is just a hunch, that our target audience might be into books. Well,
3: I will say that this is the first time I am announcing the book. This is the first mention of it out loud, other than to my mom. So the official first announcement of the Your Brain on Facts book happened right here on Oh No Lit Class. I'm Aww. in popped. <laughs>
0: We did. We popped, your, we popped your book, Cherry. Hybrids don't work like that. It's still, what? It's still though. What? It, what? It's still very exciting, <laughs> and I feel very special that you that you shared it with us on this show, and our listeners should feel very special too. So until until the next time that we that you I don't know until next time, which will be on October seventeenth. I'm Megan.
1: I'm sorry a trillion times. <laughs> you
0: damn well better be.
1: I'm Seance.
0: <laughs> and I'm Moxie. We love you. Bye.
3: I think we make for we make for a dangerously tangential combination of individuals.